0: This is Upstates HealthLink on Air, Linda Cohen along with you. Worldwide, osteoporosis causes almost 9 million fractures annually, resulting in a rate of a fracture every three seconds. Well these statistics are staggering and they underscore the importance of understanding the ways to achieve better bone health at any age. Here with more on all of this is Karen Chemis. She's a doctor of physical therapy specializing in osteoporosis and falls prevention at Upstate Medical University. Welcome, Karen. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. Let's under- help us understand to start the difference between osteoporosis and osteopenia. Those terms are often thrown around.
1: They are. Osteoporosis is when
0: the bone density is low
1: enough that it falls into the ranges that one would get the diagnosis of osteoporosis. Also, if somebody's had a fracture from low trauma or no trauma, that would give them the diagnosis of osteoporosis. And osteopenia is simply when the bone density is done and the levels are lower than normal, but not quite low enough
0: to be at the point that they're considered osteoporotic. So you're suggesting that the diagnoses are dependent on some test that's done, a bone density test, that type of thing. But the question is, what's happening in the bones to make them basically begin to fail? I mean, there needs to be a certain amount of new bone laid down, explain that.
1: Yeah, so bone is constantly remodeling. We get new bone laid down and some bone goes away. And unfortunately, as the years go on, There is more going away than being laid down. We need calcium and vitamin D to be able to have enough bone density. And what happens is over the years, the thickness of the bone decreases at a microscopic level. And there's little cross bridges and they start to go away basically.
0: So that whole structure gets weaker and it makes us more at risk for fracture. So when you say osteopenia, it's just a lesser form of the same basically the, the process of, of losing bone, losing more bone than you're building. Exactly. So the
1: bone density test would show that the bone density is lower but again not at the level that
0: we'd say osteoporosis yet. So it's not as prone to fracture if you're osteopenic perhaps as you might be with osteoporosis.
1: Exactly though if you look at the numbers a lot of people do fracture at that osteopenia range so it's really important to do the steps that we're going to talk about right away, you know, as soon as you know that you might have low
0: bone density at any form. So you, you know, kind of already alluded to the fact that as the years go by, so there are going to be factors that actually add to the likelihood that you might have osteoporosis or even osteopenia. Let's talk about what some of them are, obviously age being one. So you're not going to find osteoporosis generally in a 15-year-old, am I right? Absolutely. It's in, there's nothing you can do about it, but as the years go
1: on, our bones get thinner. So by the time somebody in their 80s, their chance of osteoporosis
0: is really high, even if nothing else is a risk factor. How about their sex? In other words, does gender determine your likelihood for osteoporosis? It does. So if we
1: look in the United States, there's about 10 million people diagnosed with osteoporosis. Two million are men and eight million are women. So being a female increases the risk by quite a bit. So do we understand why that is in terms of why more women than men? Just men build stronger bone through their youth. Um, just naturally, I mean, certainly, there's a lot of things that can tr- contribute. But all things being equal, men will build stronger, heavier bone than women. So women are always starting a little bit less in general.
0: So they're at a disadvantage really from the beginning. Absolutely. But is it true that the bone that you lay down in your youth, so to speak, or your teenage years into adolescence, is really kind of a factor in how you end up down the road? It's huge. So from you know
1: childhood and adolescence, it's so important to lay down bone. We have an expression in this area that osteoporosis is a pediatric problem with geriatric consequences. Oh, very good point. Our best bone building years are really before we hit adolescence. We still have great opportunities up to about the age of 18. Then things
0: flatten out from about 30 years old, they start to go downward. That's a very important point and a good timeline to keep in mind as we talk more about what you can do to build bone. How about family history? Does that play a role? Family history is huge, and we tend
1: to think about our mothers or grandmothers but it can be men or women in the family. So if I see a male with osteoporosis and nothing else suggests that they have a risk, oftentimes it's because they have some strong family history. But in general,
0: family history is just huge. How about the size of a person, their body frame size? I mean, you sometimes hear that frailer or people who are thinner are more likely to have that problem, and why would that be? Absolutely, because our bones respond
1: to the amount of stress placed on them, so if we're medium or heavier build, we're actually putting more stress on the bone and they'll become stronger. This is one time when maybe being a little heavier could be protective. Of course, there's a lot of other health problems that go with that, but somebody who's really petite isn't loading their bones and has a greater risk of having lower bone
0: density or osteoporosis. How about someone's race. In other words, are certain racial groups more likely to have osteoporosis versus others? Absolutely.
1: Caucasian and Asian people are more likely, but, you know, as we really look, we don't want to neglect other races because we certainly do see risks in other races, but primarily
0: Caucasian and Asian. And we were talking about the gender differences. Do hormones play a role also? I mean, I think I've seen certain, a lot of literature on this idea of Postmenopausal women being more likely to have this problem. What role do the hormones play?
1: Both estrogen and testosterone are important in building bone, and you mentioned postmenopausal. Through those years of the menopause, women lose quite a bit of bone fairly quickly. So we want to try to build up bone leading into that and try to maximize the bone
0: through those years. What kind of dietary factors play a role, too? In other words, is your diet a crucial factor in your tendency? either to develop osteoporosis or to avoid it? Yes, we need certain minerals and vitamins to
1: build bones, so calcium is the big mineral that we talk about. We need enough calcium in our system or else our body will take it from our bones. But we can't use our calcium unless we have enough vitamin D available, so we have to make sure we get enough of that. And then the other really important thing is to just have enough good healthy foods. We need to be of a healthy weight, not too thin, So we need enough calories in general and including protein, which is important in muscle and bone
0: health. Now, when we talk about all the things you were just mentioning, it seems to me that your lifestyle choices also play a role because even if, as you said, larger people may have stronger bones, but it has also to do with how much you use your body. So is a sedentary lifestyle Contribute, something that might contribute to osteoporosis. Very much so. Our bone does respond by the stresses put on it. So if
1: we're up and about and active and using our muscles and our bones, then they'll respond by being stronger. The more we sit, the less we put stress on the bones, and they're just not going to be as
0: strong and healthy. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Upstate's Health Link on air. I'm Linda Cohen, along with physical therapist Karen Chemis. We're talking about osteoporosis and how to promote better bone health. One One last point on on lifestyle choices, how about issues of alcohol consumption or tobacco? What role do they play? both negative
1: for the bone. Alcohol, we've got a little wiggle room. A moderate amount of alcohol is acceptable, but more than two or three drinks a day is going to be too much. Two reasons for that. One is because if we're drinking more, we may be eating less well. And the other is alcohol increases our risk of a fall, and that's how most fractures occur. And
0: smoking is always bad for the bone. So let's talk about how you build better bone health. I mean, obviously, You're born with the body you're born with. You can't choose what race you are. You can't choose what age you are. So what are the key recommendations? Let's start with things like um, diet specifically or food consumption, and then we'll get to the physical side.
1: Yep. So sufficient calories to have a healthy body weight, and especially looking at calcium and vitamin D, and, and generally eating healthy with good protein,
0: Um, those will help to build strong bones. Let's talk about uh, calcium and vitamin D. There's been a lot of talk about taking calcium versus having it as part of your diet. Is one superior to the other? Can you get enough calcium? Let's say you are on the verge of osteoporosis or you have osteoporosis. Should you be boosting the amount of calcium you take in and how, how best to do that? So we generally take in
1: Um, any of our vitamins and minerals best with food sources. So that's a great way to do it. So but the problem is a lot of people can't or don't like to take in certain products that have calcium. People who are intolerant to dairy, for example. So it's nice to find out how much calcium you're getting. And there's, if you go online, there's some nice calculators where you can put typical high calcium foods in and determine how much you get. And then they'll tell you how much you should get in a day. And if you're lacking, supplements will help. But calcium is
0: a tough one because we also don't want too much It can be harmful. So it's important. That's a recent excuse me for interrupting you, but that is a recent finding. I think at one time they were recommending a lot more calcium through supplement and now they've found that that can actually have some impact on the arteries or right because if we have too much it can go
1: to places we don't want it for example to create kidney stones and get to the arteries so that's why it's great to figure out how much you're taking in naturally in your flu- foods and fluids you know we have like orange juice that has calcium and vitamin D supplementation Add that up and only supplement to the extent that's going to get you to the normal levels. So what is the normal level? What's recommended? For adult men and women, it's going to be around 1,000 to 1,200 milligrams per day in general. A little higher in teenagers, 1,300 milligrams
0: a day. In kids, it's a little bit less. Now, how about the type of calcium? That's also been something that's been discussed in terms of supplements. This whole idea of what's most Uh, efficiently used by the body or used at all? I mean, is it really important to have carbonate, calcium carbonate versus calcium citrate? Calcium carbonate is a little easier
1: to get to a lot of products that supplements that we have have calcium carbonate, and it's a lot less expensive. There's a couple challenges with that. It needs acid in the belly in order to absorb well, so it should be taken with meals. The other challenge is a lot of people have gastric problems and constipation if they take it so if that's the case it's important to not stop taking a supplement but that's a great time to try calcium citrate calcium citrate's always also better if somebody doesn't have acid in the stomach like if somebody's taking an anti-acid medication or people are
0: o- of older age, over 80, have less acid naturally. So generally calcium citrate is the easier to digest or the one that's easier Absolutely. overall. How about vitamin D? Is there a type of vitamin D and how much do you need and how do you know how much to take? Vitamin D is
1: great because you can get a blood test that tells you how much you have in your system. So, And it's not like that with calcium. So you get the blood test done. Find out where you are compared to what the suggested levels are, and then supplement accordingly. It is a little challenging to get vitamin D in our foods, Eel is pretty high in vitamin D. We don't tend to eat <laughs> a lot of right. eel. But the supplements are inexpensive and easy to take. They can be taken any time of day. They're inexpensive. We're generally going to see vitamin
0: D3 as a supplement, and that's what we're going to go with. So bottom line is you really want to watch the, the calcium and the vitamin D, both of which are very important. The vitamin D is what makes the calcium work, so to speak. Absolutely. And you want to check your levels and maybe discuss it with your healthcare provider as to what supplement you need to keep at that level within your blood yes so let's get to the physical in the little bit of time we have left What do you recommend in terms of daily exercise, how, what kind of exercise, and how do you prevent falls very quickly?
1: Absolutely. So weight-bearing exercise is the most useful for the bone, so we should try to do walking, stair climbing, dancing, um, many exercises that put strain through the bone. Look at about 30 minutes most days of the week, and then fall prevention is very important. So we should test our balance. If we feel off balance, if we've fallen in the last year, that's a high risk then we should do balance challenging activities. Sometimes a referral to physical therapy is going to be the best way to do that because you might not know what to do on your own. So ask your health care provider
0: for a referral. Can you train yourself to have better balance even at an advanced age? You can
1: and I'm so glad you asked because I don't think people realize that. So if you feel like you're off balance, you don't move as well as you used to, you've had a fall in the past year, Absolutely. Challenge your balance, get it better, prevent those falls. That's how we
0: prevent fractures. And getting to a potential a physical therapist to help you maybe learn some of those skills will be very, very important. Yes, it's not something we naturally know. Thank you so much, Karen. It's been so illuminating and helpful. Karen Chemist has been my guest. She's a doctor of physical therapy specializing in osteoporosis and falls prevention at Upstate Medical University. Thanks, Karen. Thank you. I'm Linda Cohen and you're listening to Upstate's Healthlink on Air.